Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tian Wei. What pops in your mind when you hear of Liu Yang? Besides the well-known Liuyang River, the small city of Liuyang made a big mark in world history, also in the history as the birthplace of fireworks. There are many beautiful folk legends about the origin of fireworks. The story of Li Chen, the ancestor of firecrackers, is one of them. I made my way to the hometown of fireworks in China to learn firsthand the story of its creation and how it is produced today. Fireworks, the art of the night sky, boast a long history in China. The first fireworks were made from gunpowder packed into long, narrow bamboo tubes. The simple mechanism was one of the four great inventions of ancient China. Liuyang, a small city in central China's Hunan province, is one of China's largest firework production bases. Its fireworks are famous far and wide for their unique pyrotechnics, exquisite shape, bright color, and rich culture. The manufacturing process of Liuyang fireworks is quite complicated, with stringent technical requirements. At present, Liuyang has 190-odd kinds of fireworks, which are exported to more than 100 countries and regions. The history of Liuyang fireworks date back to the year 1740. To learn more, we visit the China Fireworks Culture Museum. Liuyang is the hometown of fireworks and firecrackers mainly because of this man, Li Tian, coming from the Tang Dynasty. In fact, he's believed to be the father of fireworks. He once put charcoal, uh, sulfur, and also saltpeter together, compressed them into a mixture, put it into a bamboo tube. When the bamboo tube is burned, everything exploded. Then here comes the very first fireworks. After more than 1,400 years of development, Liuyang has become a global fireworks production and trade hub, fittingly based in the hometown of fireworks. What's more, Liuyang fireworks were also used in marquee projects like the opening ceremony of the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games and the 2022 Winter Olympics and so on. Footprints of History The fireworks projects for the opening ceremony of the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games was designed by Chai Guoqiang and Zong Zhiqi. Recently, we talked to the latter about how this national intangible cultural heritage has been inherited and innovated. Yes. Unforgettable. Uh, Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics. We've been with Master Tsai for over 20 years, starting from 2000. Yes, that's right. Those eight years led up to the Summer Olympics and then the Winter Olympics. Beijing emerged as a city hosting both events, and our company, Dancing Fireworks, was tasked with putting on fireworks shows for both events. But a lot of work behind it. For events like this, the responsibility we bear is indeed significant. It may look simple, and many companies want to get involved. But to truly take it on, one must meet a wide range of requirements. The big footprints are indeed a hallmark of Master Tsai's genius. Considering the 2008 Beijing Olympics, 
irrespective of the splendor of the fireworks or the grandeur of the shows. The entire world remembered those footprints. It's very unique. You were there then? Yeah. For the Winter Olympics? Yes. Tell me more about that. Honestly, it was very exhilarating. During that time in winter, no one had ever set off fireworks on top of the bird's nest. It's very dangerous, stressful. It is the biggest acknowledgement for us. My father has been working in this industry for many years and is held in high regard. As long as he's there in person, we all know things would go well. However, in the Winter Olympics, he couldn't be on site due to his back pain and slippery conditions. The biggest morale boost was the recognition he got, which translated to recognition for our entire team. He's our spiritual leader. When he speaks, everyone follows. Since the 50th anniversary celebrations, we've been involved in almost all major national events. Uh, yes, the 50th, 60th and 70th anniversary celebrating the founding of the People's Republic of China. We've also been involved in the APEC Summit in 2001, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit in 2006, the World Expo in 2010, the APEC Summit in 2014, and the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Communist Party of China in 2021. I've always been on the front line for these events. What is the key for you? Safety is our top priority when organizing such events, but delivering the intended impact is just as crucial. For instance, during the Winter Olympics, one of the most eye-catching displays was the welcoming pine. It's a representation of our Chinese culture and our way of welcoming guests. When the general secretary gave his speech, the welcoming pine made its appearance. It had to be presented flawlessly, right? I don't know, uh, for those of you who have been dealing with fireworks and firecrackers all your life, what is this very interesting relationship you have with the fireworks and firecrackers. When we organize such events, we need to meet a multitude of requirements. First and foremost, our technical team must be top-notch. Besides, we have control over the entire production chain, where we ensure quality at every step. This is what gives the government leaders confidence in us. Furthermore, the many years of experience and countless major events we've taken part in play a crucial role in our success. Ultimately, it's all about the people involved. Our team places emphasis on meticulous attention to detail at every stage, ensuring nothing is overlooked. Everything, from the timing to the location, including factors like weather, play a part. For example, we've had instances where impending rain ceased just in time for our event. If winds were initially against us, they'd fortuitously shift in our favor when it mattered most. Such moments not only symbolize our nation's prosperity, but also served as a testament to the blessing and good fortune bestowed upon our people. It's almost as if during crucial moments, even the wind direction would change to favor us, which truly feels like a divine blessing. <laughs> Our company, now in its 27 years, is on the brink of the 30th anniversary. As for me, I have the responsibility to carry on and uphold his legacy. 
In this industry, there are indeed companies that have been operating for over 50 years. Some of them are local businesses from small towns that have directly inherited their achievements from their predecessors. Being in this line of work undoubtedly comes with great pressure. However, for us, since we are fortunate to have entered this field and given this platform by our forefathers, we truly cherish it, even though there are considerable risks. You still feel that way? Absolutely. We are known as the artists of the night sky, designers of the sky and sky illuminators. Which is your favorite moment, your favorite fireworks or firecrackers? It is usually the grand finale of each show, that moment when various sounds and colors bursts forth in the sky is truly special. Whenever we prepare a display or present it to a client, we always save the most passionate, vibrant and breathtaking fireworks for the end. Whenever we organize firework displays at grand events, certain signature products are vital, be it the welcoming pine, the big footprints, or the five-point star for the 100th anniversary of the founding of the CPC. But the most relieving moment for us is the conclusion of these displays. Our hearts can finally relax. Throughout the preparation and execution, we're always on edge, fearful for even the tiniest mishap. We strive for perfection in every firework display, aiming for a flawless presentation. So, when we succeed, the joy and relief we feel is immense. During the Tang Dynasty, our ancestor, Li Tian, invented fireworks and firecrackers. It has been passed down from one generation to the next, with each generation bringing their own development and innovation. From the rudimentary fireworks over a thousand years ago to the diverse types of fireworks we have now, the progress is evident. Especially today, they've become more artistic. We can now paint the night sky with captivating designs such as the welcoming pine or the big footprints. It's no longer just a product, it's an art. On the foundation of firework culture, we've elevated it to an art. So every successful firework display brings a sense of accomplishment. As we continue to honor our heritage, innovation remains paramount. Moving forward, what I wish to pursue and study is the integration of environmental protection with art. We also need to be even more artistic. Fireworks are likened to a dance of flames, a symphony of fire. With the current emphasis on cultural innovation in our country, we'll see more of such fireworks in scenic spots. Our nation, including the General Secretary, places great importance on traditional culture. For the younger generation today, the focus is on how to innovate the way they play with fireworks. For example, the Gatling Barrage fireworks have gained significant traction in recent years. The Gatling Barrage was initially an export product and has been around for many years. However, it wasn't very popular in China. When the pandemic hindered exports, these fireworks found their way to the domestic market and quickly became a hit, as people played with them more. Our approach, rooted in Chinese way of thinking and innovative way of playing, suggests that we should explore and learn from the world. While one could simply label them as fireworks, they can be integrated and merged with various other models and experiences.
好了，特别期待啊！要如果跟外公做烟花，要不要？要，要啊！哟，哇，相当棒啊！这是我们第三代传承人的 third generation， isn't it？ 啊、yeah. ，That's the story of fireworks and firecrackers from China. The Yuelu Academy is one of the four most prestigious academies in China. It boasts a history of more than a thousand years. Throughout its illustrious history, it has hosted some of China's most fiercest academic debates. It acts as an intersection of major traditional Chinese philosophies and modern cultures from China and abroad. I had recently visited the Yuelu Academy with two professors. My presence. At this storied institution, was fitting given the current geopolitical climate we find ourselves in. At this moment, what can we learn from history? That's always important. The Yuelu Academy has witnessed a history of more than 1,000 years. It's where great scholars assembled, and that tradition has carried on to today. On a typically busy morning at the academy, you see a mixture of students, scholars, and tourists, all fascinated by it. I met Peter Dickmanson and Bei Bei Zhang, two scholars from the academy's history department. Coming from very different backgrounds, they are now working closely on both academic research and on using new technologies such as AI as tools to rediscover history. With them, I began to have a better understanding of this institution's strength and inner charm. So here we are at the Temple of Confucius. Confucius himself is the symbol of the educational ideal,、mm -hmm. not for the exams, not for a career or jobs or becoming famous, but for one's own development and enrichment. Standing here, you're looking at one door after another, and his students,、uh, Confucius, I guess, will have a, a second thought about what the world is like today. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Though the academy has a storied history of hosting Confucian scholars, it was the debates on this site that have marked this place in China's history. Most prominently, a debate during the Song Dynasty. At the time, a scholar named Zhang Shi lectured at the academy. He invited many to debate, among them Zhu Xi, one of the most accomplished Confucian scholars in history. They debated day and night. It's said that the audience, admiring their talents, gathered in the academy from all over the country. The number of visitors not only exceeded the seating capacity, as many of them traveled by horse, which drank up the water of a nearby pond. So here is the lecture hall.、Mm -hmm. This is where the famous debate between Zhu Xi and Zhang Shi happened. Oh, I see. Legend, This is something I always want to visit. <laughs> yeah, according to the legend, they、uh -huh. have been like debated for three days and three、uh -huh. nights. But what is the content of this debate? Well, it was a very complex debate about one of the very important texts in Confucianism, the doctrine of the mean or the Zhongyong. And that text talks a great deal about the nature of the human mind as it encounters information, and the way that the mind responds. And one of the things that Confucian scholars in the Song Dynasty were very interested in is just how, what is the proper way for the mind to respond to information and to correct. 
the nature of one's mind. And these two scholars had very different views about that, how it that should happen. It must be very exciting, I guess. Uh, all the details become extremely important. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. very important. That's and different schools of, forming. Yeah. And also the nature of classics, isn't it? That you read into it. Yeah, open to, for discussion, open for interpretation as well. And one interesting point is that the, the two scholars are from two different regions, one from Fujian and another one from Sichuan, a meeting at this academy. It's sort of an early version of scholarly exchange cross-regionally. And also, this plaque also indicates this idea of yeah. yeah, it's a plaque bestowed by an emperor of Qin Dynasty, but it's describing the idea that how new Confucianism spread it from the north, chi north part of China to the south part of China and become really influential to the Chinese culture, generally speaking. Working here, researching on history, what have you learned, Peter? Well, one of the things that you learn when you study academy history is that the academies in China are centers for people to meet, learned people to meet from all over, from all over China. And this was true with the ancient academies in, in Europe and Britain and North Africa and India. They were meeting places for scholars from everywhere. And so, for example, with the famous uh, meeting meeting here between Zhu Xi and Zhang Shi, two of the most famous scholars from the Song Dynasty. You have an exchange of different views and a kind of discussion and debate and a diversity of opinion, and that the academy is the center of this type of, of scholarly exchange. You know, these two so are so and so keen to discuss with each other, and uh, they spend like days debating on. And their understandings of classics, and it, they attract a crowd, which um, the tale is that uh, the poor, our poor, poor here was dried by their horses. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, I, I'm also very impressed by the by the fact that they are also they also cultivate great friendship with each other, and this is. I think what we, we learned a lot from the history of, of academy as well. So we have diversity, we are different people, but um, we can care for each other personally. This is very enticing even today, I guess, because we have so many debates, sometimes not necessarily real debates, but rhetorical wars. Uh, how do you see the differences between debates, real debates, vis-a-vis -vis rhetoric wars? One very important part of debate is respecting the person whose ideas are different from yours. And, and also taking pleasure in the interaction. Part of the record that we have is of these two writing poems about their close friendship. Uh, and Not and just decoration about the wars. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think this is also why the problem is so complicated, just to assume that we don't know the ultimate answer. We are just learning through the process. Mm -hmm. This is why the, the, the question is so complicated because this is many things are still under debate but if you just want to persuade someone else that you have the ultimate truth then I think that's more likely to be a rhetorical debate mm -hmm. and the real debate should be like advancing each other's thinking and actually there are research showing that Zhang debate actually advances both their intellectual development mm -hmm. in a way. Earlier, the academy has been embracing the idea of creating 
more academic freedom and space, and emphasizing on the nature of learning rather than what the system has always been throughout China's feudal dynasties, which is an exam-oriented education system. So, of course, today there is also enormous amount of debates about this. What is the purpose of learning? How to learn? What is the best way? What do we need in terms of talents? Uh, how do you see this debate reflected in both the history and the present today here in this academy? As you say, that is a long tradition and one of the, one of the central, uh, central themes in academies was resisting the kind of rigid examination learning, learning to prepare for an exam in order to get a job, earn a salary, that the, the, the discourse of the academy was always pushing away from that and thinking of learning for its own sake. Mm -hmm. Uh, which was very much what scholars like Jushi emphasized, that we do not learn simply to get a job, we learn to transform ourselves uh, and to educate ourselves. This becomes even more important when we think about the fact that we do not really know what the future will bring. Mm -hmm. So we're training students for an unknown future, mm -hmm. not for jobs that, that are predictable and, and clear, but for uh, developing their own internal resources. Recently, we have seen a revival of studies in China, of tradition, mm. of traditional literature, uh, scripts, uh, ancient culture, even ancient uh, folk customs. All of this, a revival of that. Um, what is the nature, with your observation, so far of this revival? I think, I think studying, studying Chinese traditions, studying Chinese culture um, adds richness to life, adds mm -hmm. a certain other dimension to, uh, to life. Um, and also thinking about it in terms of world tradition mm -hmm. and thinking about how we represent Chinese traditions to the rest mm -hmm. of of the world. Mm. How do we think comparatively? Um, I was just teaching a class yesterday uh, in which um, we were talking about a very famous play, Mudanting, Peony mm -hmm. Pavilion, which is written at almost exactly the same time as Romeo and Juliet in, mm -hmm. in England. And so we should be thinking, the whole world knows Shakespeare and Romeo and mm -hmm. Juliet. The world, the whole world does not know about Mudanting, which is, in my opinion, a much better play. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that we can think that we're sort of, on the one hand, we're enriching people's lives in China. On the other hand, we're presenting more of Chinese tradition to the world. Mm -hmm. And what is the point of presenting Chinese tradition to the world? Yeah, I think one, this is also what I, I'm keeping asking myself, because I automatically thinking it's important, but the re one of the reasons is that I think because we are trying to somehow make a division between tradition and modern, and sometimes East and West, but actually I'm trying to argue that is that division that clear? And also, especially sometimes we even like make it equ equ uh, make equivalent between Western and modern, but actually this is not actually the case. And also, 
as I said earlier, I think modern educa higher education emphasizes too much, less on humanities, which I think is a problem of, of a global like problem. And this is what I'm thinking. I think um, we have a rich study on humanities in Chinese tradition, and this is, I, I do think this is definitely something we can really contribute to the world civilization. That's a very good point, what you have just said, whether uh, West equals to quote-unquote modern or modernity mm -hmm. uh, and the, the very similar logic apply to many other questions as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, talking about this, what is the purpose? So what is the goal? Uh, why do we do that? Why is it important? I think it's important for thinking about, on the one hand, thinking about our individual identity. Who are we as, mm -hmm. as, as people? And that's all the time we have for today. If you'd like to know more, search World Inside. Check out our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Tian Wei. On behalf of my team, thanks for being with us.